Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And today, we're going to talk about memorable mentors, and we're profiling Milton Friedman. Our first profile, Ed, in this, uh, what could be a series, I guess we're still playing around with that idea. Yeah, so certainly we'd like your feedback out there in the audience if you like our profiles. We've done the Entrepreneur Heaven series where we've talked about four different entrepreneurs, but we really felt that some people deserved a, a really a deep dive. And you know, the idea of people who are, are have been mentors to us is an important one. Ron and I, you, we always talk about you know who our mentors are, and um, and and a lot of, a lot of our mentors have we've never met, which I think is, a, is a, an interesting way of thinking about. It. I don't think a lot of people think about about it like that right I, I think of them as absent mentors or absent teachers basically is the way i've always thought about them but i guess we just didn't want to constrict ourselves to people who had passed away right <laughs> like exactly <laughs> and and others that maybe weren't entrepreneurs, maybe they were authors or, or incredibly deep thinkers like Mr. Friedman here. Um, so it kind of broadens the horizons of of people that we could profile. So yeah, folks, we'd be really interested in your uh, in your opinions on on how this show goes, and would love your feedback on it. So Ed Melton Friedman, wow, where where do you even start? Ooh, I mean, it, we'll talk about a genius, right? Genius, a, a, a just a colossal, influential, probably one of the most, if not the most, influential economist of the twentieth century. He's born in uh, July thirty first in uh, nineteen twelve in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, so he and I have share that in common, and that's about yeah. it. That's where the that's where the Venn diagram ends. <laughs> and uh, apparently his father passed away at a young age uh, from, I think, uh, con- congenital heart failure because uh, I think Friedman had the same issues. And I think Friedman was 15 when he passed away. But um, why? Well, I, I, you know, I don't even know where to go here. I mean, he, he's written so many books and, of course, he won a Nobel Prize in economics in 1976. He was granted the... Uh, or awarded the Presidential Medal of Freed- Freedom in 1988. I, I guess that would have been Ronald Reagan's presidency in this last year. And um, just had major influence on the economics profession uh, from the University of Chicago, where he taught until he retired in 1977. Uh, and he's best known for his, you know, his monetary theories. 
But also, he also did a whole lot of other technical economic work that maybe the general public doesn't know much about. And then, of course, he was very well known to a general uh, viewership and readership through his Newsweek columns, his other uh, articles that he would publish in the Wall Street Journal, his Free to Choose TV series. Um, so he he um, he kind of he, he had a foot in both sides. You know, he did the technical work, but he also he he uh, translated it into everyday speak for for the masses. And I thought it, he's just one of the masters at that, making the complex simple, if you will. No, definitely. In his Free to Choose series, we'll probably talk more about that. As we go on in the show, but both the the 1980 and 1990 editions are are, are well worth watching. But you know, I, I you you mentioned his his prize for economics, uh, the Nobel Prize. I, I am almost more admire him and think he should have won a Nobel Peace Prize for his work on the draft and eliminating the draft in the United States and the the volunteer army. Uh, I think that that was that was huge work that he did. On that, and and clearly not without a lot of controversy. So, and Ed is one of his proudest achievements. He wrote that in his autobiography. Uh, absolutely, one of his proudest accomplishments uh, was was ending the draft. And you know, in congressional testimony, uh, he was appointed on the All Volunteer Commission by uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, he was he was testifying with General. William Westmoreland, the commander of American troops in Vietnam. Right. Westmoreland said he did not want to command an army of mercenaries. And (laughs) Friedman shot back, General, would you rather command an army of slaves? And Westmoreland came back and said, I don't like to hear our patriotic draftees referred to as slaves. And Friedman came back and said, I don't like to hear our patriotic volunteers referred to as mercenaries. Check and mate. <laughs> slam. Body slam. That was it. It, it was over. And it, I mean, you know, even people in the profession that admired Melton and didn't admire him, you know, had different political views or whatever, all conceded this, this man was an incredible debater, probably the best ever debater. And, and you can see that if you just watch YouTube videos of him on Don Yu or just oh, yeah. do a lecture, uh, and then taking audience Q and a, you know, he is just as sharp as attack and just goes right to the heart of the point and makes his, makes his argument in the most forceful way. Uh, and yeah, they said arguing with Melton Friedman was like climbing Mount Everest. I could totally see that. I mean, that's one of the things that I really like about the 1980 edition of Free to Choose is what is it runs about an hour or so each episode, but the, the way that they structured it is then there was a, a half hour or hour I forget after the episode of of just dialogue from I think the library at University of Chicago and they would have different guests on from all bents of the political spectrum. It wasn't it wasn't just folks that supported Friedman and man they would they would go at it on occasion. They would go back and forth on some things and, and I have to say yeah you know may, and maybe this is just creative editing but but I don't think Friedman loses any of them. I mean, he he just he just goes at him, but always in a in a pleasant way. Like he, you know, it's he would would clearly not be suited for Facebook debates because he wasn't he he wasn't 
caustic in in cutting. He just would logic you th- through. And the 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 one that you the one that you mentioned with Phil Donahue, and we'll post it as part of the show notes. There's just the classic one where he where he he responds about you know that about angels and and greed, right? And he 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 says to Donahue, you know, I I I wouldn't even. Even trust uh, you, Mister Donahue, to 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 run our country, even though you're a good person. You know, <laughs> just <laughs> one of my favorite lines, and this comes from a, a series of lectures he did. Ed, before Free to Choose came out, it was in the '70s, and I've actually sat down and watched them all. There's like nine or ten of them. You can get them all on YouTube, and he says in one of the lectures, I, I believe it's the second one in this series, he says, "We can't expect to elect the right people." He said, the best we can do is make it politically profitable for the wrong people to do the right thing. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> it's just absolutely and brilliant. It is, and, and like many of his other ideas. And he's got lots of ideas and, and even sayings. I even think he put some vernacular into common usage. But I just before we kind of take a deep dive on, on Melton, I, I don't want to gloss over his wife, Rose Friedman, who was an economist in her own right and had a PhD or an, well, she never, I think, formally finished her PhD, but then she got, she was awarded an honorary one. And I forget the institution that did that. And she was born in 1910. So two years before Melton and passed away three years after he did. And uh, they met at the university of Chicago in um, (laughs) of all things at a price theory class. No, because, her, her last name was Director, and his was Friedman, and I guess the professor lined them up alphabetically. Uh, they ended up sitting next to one another, and that's how they met. And, you know, they, they got married and had uh, two children and I think four grandchildren and an incredibly happy, you know, marriage for how, how many ever years it was and uh, traveled the world, literally. I mean, their their autobiography is called Two Lucky People, which I'm drawing some of this research from. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a wonderful book, even though it's like 600 pages. But what I love about it is it's written in their own voices. And so you get to, you know, you get to hear her side and then you get to hear his side of, of their many travels and other issues that came up. So I just wanted to give her her due because I'm not trying to gloss over uh, Rose Friedman at all. She wrote Free to Choose with them. She was obviously on the series and traveled with them. Uh, I even think she wrote Capitalism and Freedom with them, too, uh, and other books, Journey of the Status Quo. So she she was an economist in her own right. Yeah, I was looking up as you were talking around. She received a, her honorary LLD from Pepperdine University Pepperdine, in 19, that's right. yep, 19, 1986. And just a little dating tip for all you budding economists out there, price theory classes is clearly the way to go. Let's see, you know, <laughs> beatoutmatch.com and Tinder for, for the economists. But Ed, probably one of the most famous lines that if you, if you hear the line, you think of Friedman, and that is there is no such thing as a free lunch. And you know he was he's been asked in many interviews what you know what's the source of this this phrase and he doesn't take any credit for it he gives the credit to Robert Heinlein, uh, the science fiction writer in the book The Moon Is a Harsh Mistress, and I mm-hmm. guess the phrase is used in there, and it became a uh, not an acronym but what do they call that when it's when you can't say it? <laughs> uh, oh, it, you do say uh, it. It's tonsifal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I guess it can it be is said. It, right? is, it, is an acronym. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, there ain't uh, no such thing as a free lunch. Yep. 
Yep. And uh, I guess, you know, this can be traced back somewhat to 19th century saloons because apparently if you bought a beer, you'd get, you'd get, you'd literally get a free lunch with the beer. So that, that's okay. kind of where people thought it came from. But uh, anyway, uh, what, what he did say about this phrase, because he was, he was well known for using it, uh, he was doing a dedication speech at the Cato building uh, in Washington, D.C. And he said, in the real economic world, there is a free lunch. He says, an extraordinary free lunch, and that free lunch is free markets and private property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this, brilliant. By the way, it was, uh, and this is one of the few little factoids that I do know. It was Rose, by the way, that convinced him to allow Cato Institute to use well his and their their name as as part of their their annual prize that they award. So, right, because uh, he was reluctant to do so, but I think she she finally convinced him. Said, no, 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 you got to do this. <laughs> he uh, he he even thought that the uh, Nobel Prize probably did more harm than good because it says he said it gave people more uh, of an imprimatur on things that were outside of their expertise right oh so he would say, so not his per se although he probably would 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 agree with it in this in his case as well he says any he would. anyone receiving a nobel prize gets a, gets a gets a, a stamp uh, or as you put it, imprimatur that that is beyond. Just because you're a Nobel Prize in this means that you are really smart. Yeah, and you're an expert in everything. And yeah, everything. And, and and he totally rejected that. So, um, but wow, there's there's so many other places we could go with this guy. But just uh, kind of staying at a high level about his views, he was obviously a person of the right. However, you want to phrase that. Um, he wrote a book with Thomas Saws who's a well-known libertarian psychiatrist who just, you know, just totally disbelieves mental illness and all of that, wrote lots of books. Um, and he says in that book to a Republican club of students at Stanford University, he says, I'm a libertarian with a small L and a Republican with a capital R. And I'm a Republican with a capital R on grounds of expediency, not on principle. <laughs> So that's there. very interesting. That's very interesting coming from Melton Friedman because, of course, his son David Friedman is an anarchist, right? Libertarian, anarchist, yep, anarchist, and a great economist, even though his degrees in physics. Um, and uh, his grandson Patry, of course, is <laughs> maybe even to the to the more libertarian spectrum than uh, David is. Right. Right. Well, he's he's just get rid of everything. And well, he was head of the Seasteading Institute for quite some time. I don't think he's there anymore. I think he's moved on to something else. But yeah, Pat Patrick Friedman, the the, the couple, couple of lectures that I've seen by him, he's he is an interesting dude. And David, well, we mentioned David last last month, last week, I believe, in our Frieda Iron Friday show. So right. And of course, if you look at Free to Choose, you'll see that the book is dedicated to Patry and and I, I believe their other granddaughter. Um, so. But anyway, uh, folks, we need to pay some bills, and uh, I'd like to remind you that you can email Ed or myself. We'd love feedback on this show, or if you think we should turn this into a series and profile other memorable mentors that uh, Ed and I really have admired and have learned from throughout the years, you can email us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Follow us on thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're back on The Soul of Enterprise, profiling one of our mentors, Milton Friedman. And Ron, one of the more famous big ideas that Friedman is credited with is really developing the idea of monetarism. And uh, my armchair economist understanding of that is that it, uh, regulation of the money supply uh, in a, would be the alleviator of, of all inflation. In fact, one of the things that Friedman is often quoted on is a, a quote in 1963 where he said, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomena, and we, we've kind of picked up uh, up on him. When we talk about uh, we are our second law, which is effectiveness is always and everywhere more important than efficiency. But uh, blatantly stealing from from yes. Friedman, but but this this whole idea of that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomena. I don't think that that's been disputed. I think I think that's one of the things that he's really held out there. That I don't think anybody can can has refuted that since. No, I, I don't think you can refute it. I mean, it's almost a mathematic, mathematical certainty if you look at the, uh, you know, the monetary equations of it. Um, and y- y- this didn't mean, though, that Friedman thought that money was the only thing that mattered. He was often condemned by his critics for believing that only mo- money mattered. And he never believed that. He thought technology. He thought, you know, real economic growth, goods and services, technological innovation, private property, uh, institutional structures, uh, even the family. You know, he, he even said in one of these lectures that we're not a nation of individuals. We're a nation of families, you know. And um, so he didn't believe money was the only thing that mattered. But he did believe that money would have uh, influence on nominal magnitudes, right? Like uh, the real, the prices of things in nominal dollars, not so much in real dollars, like if you think about a barter economy. Um, 
but over the long run, it, that it, it couldn't affect the real output of an economy, w- which is a good thing. <laughs> right, right. right. Well, <laughs> his, fam- his famous analogy is the helicopter, right? And he, he used that you know, if, if money were to drop from a helicopter and, and increase the money supply by tenfold well, over a particular town, well, then, yes, everything would cost ten times as much. But it, there wouldn't be any difference in terms of real wealth created. It would just be that the prices went up, right, to, to right. reflect that money dropped from the helicopter. Now, you know, it would be interesting to see is what, what Friedman would have said regarding the last – you know, 2008 to to now quantitative easing that's happened because you know we've talked a little bit about this on the show, but it's 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 really almost the the dog that didn't bark, right? Um, we we have had an expanse expansion of the money supply, but we haven't seen inflation. So maybe the inverse of his quote isn't isn't necessarily always true that that you know mo- monetary. Uh, expansion will cause inflation. I don't think that you can make that leap. And and I think the real key in current thinking is that it's because really the banks the banks really didn't didn't lend that money out. They've they just kept it at capital reserves. Isn't that your understanding as well? Yes, that they're just basically ledger entries, and that's why we didn't have this raging inflation that you know people <laughs> tend to say on the gold commercials. You know, trying to sell you gold as a hedge. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Friedman believed in monetary rules. He thought a computer that they, let the money supply grow roughly the rate of the real economy would be a better thing than than all these people at the Federal Reserve. You know, with the big PR machine they have, where they can take credit when times are good and then blame <laughs> blame on external events when things go wrong. Right? Really, I mean, a noticed, computer ever, in charge of the money supply? Hmm. Yeah, that sounds a lot like Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think, you know, uh, not to get too detailed on this, but George Gilder in his paper that he wrote and he talked about on our show uh, where he s- claims that Milton Friedman was wrong and even Friedman admitted in later years that he was wrong. And we talked to Gilder about that and he explained it, I thought, pretty eloquently um, that, you know, it, money's not everything. And it, based on some of the assumptions you can make, um, <laughs> maybe some of Friedman's assumptions were wrong uh, about the power of monetary policy. But certainly on fiscal policy, he was anti-Keynesian and he really kind of drove a dagger into the heart of Keynes, which is why I think a lot of economists have never really forgiven him. Um, Paul Samuelson said something to the effect, uh, and I love this line, um, because you know how powerful Keynes was in, in remaking economic thought in a pretty short period of time. Uh, and Paul Samuelson, the winner of, I think, the first Nobel Prize in economics and, of course, the textbook author, he said, you know, he said, to keep the fish that they carried on long journeys lively and fresh, sea captains used to introduce an eel into the barrel. He said, in economics profession, Melton Friedman is that eel. <laughs> 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 and I thought that was a clever way to to describe uh, Friedman as a you know an irritant to a lot of uh, Keynesian economists. And the other thing he did, uh, talking about his big ideas, he wrote a book, uh, the history of the Mo- uh, history of monetary history of the U.S. with mm-hmm. Anna Schwartz, and it's it's a classic work. I mean, it's uh, you know thousand pages or something. And in there, he argues that the Great Depression was caused by Federal Reserve policy errors. Specifically, that they let the money supply contract by one third between 1929 and 1933. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if you did that today, it would probably have a similar impact. I mean, it was a terrible policy. Now, it wasn't the only thing, um, but that was a big cause of the initial plunge in the in in the Great Depression. And he really put that idea on the map. And I think even Ben Bernanke, you know, ended up apologizing to him in some public form about, yeah, we really screwed that up. And Bernanke, of course, was a scholar on the Great Depression. Right, right. Yeah, no, and it, you know, when you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, they contracted the money supply, yet at the same time, that's that's when the the big droughts were hitting out west, right? So there was like this double whammy of contraction of the money supply and contraction of the food supply at the same time, which I, I you know, I, I think those two events combined together really, really, really were the were the, the the plunge that went down. And I think a lot of people also, Ron, misinterpret, you know, Milton Friedman saying that as a criticism of the Roosevelt policies. Well, Roosevelt wasn't even president then, right? Right. I mean, no, he, I mean he, cri- he criticized Roosevelt later, and, yes. but you know, what wasn't, was in fact at the time in favor of, of some of his jobs programs, but even critic- came to criticize them later. But right at, at that point, that was still Hoover that was in charge of the contraction of the money supply. That's right. And not only that, but Hoover also did the Congress passed the Smoot-Harley Tariff Act, which raised tariffs astronomically, which also contracted world trade, also raised income taxes under Hoover Hoover. So uh, it wasn't just the Fed, obviously. And of course, an FDR got in there. He, he implemented all these alphabet soup programs that Friedman argued just created nothing but uncertainty, a climate of uncertainty, where you know that's going to make it hard to invest. In fact, I think you're seeing that today to some extent. That's why we have so many corporations doing these buybacks or uh, parking money overseas, because they're not investing, because they're uncertain mm-hmm. about the future. Right? What right, things are going right. to cost, health insurance, whatever, regulatory policy, tax policy, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a big idea. Another one of his big ideas Ed, was flexible exchange rates, which he was advocating for as far back as the 1940s. He, he wasn't against so much you know, the Bretton Woods standard or uh, a dollar pegged to gold, but he didn't think a, a pure gold standard was practical. And so he thought it would just be better if you let currencies float. Now, that, that idea took 30 years, but it did happen under Nixon, mm-hmm. right? They, they let the currencies float. And, of course, that's what Gilder also talked about, and that's why foreign currency today is the biggest market in the world, trades trillions of dollars, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, per, per annum. Uh, another big idea of his was, of course, the voucher system for education. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and Rose set up a foundation in their name to carry on that work, to argue for vouchers, not just here in the States, but I believe worldwide. And uh, I believe that idea was laid out in Capitalism and Freedom, but he came up with it sometime in the 50s. He also came up with the negative income tax, um, which you know, we have various forms of that, the earned income tax credit and maybe other things, but, but he wanted it to replace all welfare systems, uh, and you've already mentioned, he, you know, he was a big uh, a, opponent of the draft. And uh, on the technical side, he came up with the idea of a natural rate of unemployment, which doesn't sound politically correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they cha- they actually changed the term of it, uh, changed the name of it. Uh, but his his central premise was: look, because of friction and just people moving and you know uh, seeking better opportunities, there's going to be a na- natural rate of unemployment in the economy. Um, and he, you know, he he destroyed the idea that there was a trade off between inflation 
inflation and unemployment. The idea of the so-called Phillips curve. curve. Right. He, 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 he academically destroyed that argument. And I don't think it's ever recovered, except in the Federal Reserve, they still believe there's a trade-off between inflation and unemployment. I, to this mm-hmm. day, I can't believe it. You, you listen to yeah. what Janet Yellen says, or even Ben Bernanke, maybe even Alan Greenspan. They still talk like we're living in a Phillips curve world, and, and Friedman destroyed it. Mm-hmm. Nope, they they still believe that they can pull pull the levers to make things happen and not happen, and this just is completely absurd from from my vantage point. Anyway, I mean, yes, I think that there's a there they do have control over the money supp- supply, but as he mentioned, hey, maybe it's better we just had a computer to decide what that that is. Uh, of course, you know, then then you come up with well, somebody's got to program the computer, so somebody's theory's got to be behind it. But but anyway, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, and why not Milton Friedman's? You could get, you could do worse. You could certainly do worse. That's for sure. Um, but uh, you know, Friedman Friedman was just a, 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 such a genius in so many of these different areas that it, it you know, like I said, virtuoso. And didn't he? He even advanced the the concept of of, of just statistical analysis as well. Uh, you know, clearly doing so to help with his profession of of the economy of economics. But you know, made some advances in 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 mathematics as well. So pretty smart guy. Well, anyway, we're we're up against our next break, Ron, and we want to come back and talk a little bit a bit more about Milton Friedman. And and one thing that I'm going to do when we get back is to share with you my personal favorite quote of uh, Milton Friedman. So we'll talk about that. But first, we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Ron and I love to get your emails. Follow along the show at hashtag AskTSOE. And of course, show notes and previews to all shows are available on our website, thesoulofenterprise.com. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we're profiling Milton Friedman here on The Soul of Enterprise. Ron and I have been bantying about the brilliant ideas that Milton Friedman shared with us in his lifetime. And I would like to share with you, Ron, my personal favorite quote of Milton Friedman, which is in the preface to the 1982 edition of Capitalism and Freedman, uh, Freedom, which, which uh, is on my bookshelf here. And I, I use this quote. A, a couple of times a year, well, maybe more than a couple, I would say it's maybe once a month even, where somebody is asking me why I'm a libertarian, right? Mm-hmm. And I've kind of kind of vamped off of this quote a little, but let me share with you the, the specifics of the quote, and then, then, I'll, and then I'll tell you how I kind of twist it a little bit uh, for, for what I'm talking about. Anyway, the quote is, only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. That, I believe, is our basic function, to, keep, to develop alternatives to existing policies and to keep them alive and available until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. And that's, that's what I personally believe is the function of the Libertarian Party and why I'm a Libertarian is we, we need to keep these ideas alive until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. And, you know, based on what we're seeing out there, I think it's becoming closer every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said good ideas don't die. They just may lay dormant for a while, but they might, they might find favor. And he thought that that was a big role of the intellectual class was to keep those ideas alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, Ed, absolutely. you know, another big thing that he did, and it's, it's overlooked. Uh, I even asked uh, Daniel Susskind about this, and he wasn't familiar with it. But <clears throat> Friedman's Ph.D. dissertation at Columbia was a book uh, that he co-authored with Simon Kuznets, another famous economist who I believe developed our national income accounts, you know, the GDP and GMP measurements and all of that. He was a Russian-born economist. And they wrote a book together called Income from Independent Professional Practice. Now, this introduced the concept of a permanent income that that Friedman won a Nobel Prize for. That was one of the things that he won a Nobel Prize for. And it was also an exploration of human capital because it was talking about income from, you know, the returns on education into a profession. And they studied doctors and dentists and CPAs and I believe engineers and lawyers and the the, uh, the book was so controversial it was finished in 1941 and it wasn't published by the MBER the National Bureau of Economic Research until 1945 because a pharmaceutical company executive a guy named C. Reinhold Noyes uh, held it up because of what he thought was a bombastic claim that doctors were able to keep their income a third, uh, one third higher than dentists because of their monopoly restrictions. Friedman mm. equated it to a union cartel, and that's why he was a lifelong opponent of all forms of occupational licensure. He thought they did more harm than good, and that was very, very controversial back in the day. 
<laughs> uh, it's controversial today. It, it <laughs> Forget is. Forget about it, back in the day. It's controversial today. <laughs> so really, here, the, some some of these associations are just around, Ron, to to keep <laughs> keep the their the the the, uh, the flow of money coming to them. Really, holy cow! <laughs> now, Ed, you brought up a great point. You uh, you said that you know he was a he was brilliant in mathematics, and he was he he majored in mathematics, and he figured out that the only work that you can really get in there is a, as an actuary, and he took some exams. He passed some. He failed others. He said they were the most difficult exams he's ever taken in his life, and he decided to get into economics instead. And when he worked for the government in the 1940s, he does credit the New Deal for hiring a lot of economists, mostly as part of the war effort. He was indirectly involved with the Manhattan Project because he designed oh, really? a, st- a statistical procedure to ensure that the detonator for the atom bomb worked, though he didn't know it. He helped design the trigger for the atom bomb. Interesting. That I did not know. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, also, he worked in the Treasury under Henry, uh, the Secretary of the Treasury, Henry Morgenthal, and he proposed that uh, in order to pay for the war effort, uh, that they adopt a pay-as-you-go withholding, our, our basically our current form of withholding tax. And this, right. was, this was quite controversial, and he regrets it. He regretted it for the rest of his life, uh, and, and Rose, I guess, never gave him... <laughs> <laughs> never, never let up on him about it. Uh, but no. he said, you know, "Look, he said it was inevitable. It was probably going to happen anyway." But he, he studied Germany. He studied other European countries that did it. And of course, they all thought the way they did it was the only way it could be done. It kind of led him to the first rule of bureaucracy, which is that the way we do it now is the only feasible way of doing it. But no. when, when he proposed the withholding tax, the biggest opponent was the IRS. They said this is unworkable. So when he came out for the flat tax in, in uh, Capitalism and Freedom and then Free to Choose and in other works, he um, you know, wanted to go back where you pay your taxes once a year, right? Because then you'd really feel the, the cutting of the check, right? And you'd, you'd, it, right? It'd be more visible. Economists like transparency and taxes. And, of course, the biggest opponent now to the repeal of the withholding tax is... The IRS. So, you know, like Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. No, and and I know he did regret that, but you're right. He did say that it was inevitable, but – and he he also said that that in the end – it's not so much that he regrets developing the the withholding system so much as he regrets the the idea of withholding, right? It just was a bad idea. Right. So – Yep. Yep. So make that little distinction there. So now, Ed, in a book that he wrote after Free to Choose, and it's a little book that he wrote with Rose called Tyranny of the Status Quo from 1984. I love it. It's it's a great book, even though parts of it are dated. But I, but I want to share with you one thing that's not dated. He does point out in this book, he's talking about the tyranny of the status quo, and we know that well, right? Whether mm-hmm. you're talking about the billing up billable hour regime or the timesheet regime, or you know, pick your favorite example from a business example. But he said, you know, he pointed out that it's harder to make good changes in our system, comparing it to, say, Britain's parliamentary system. He said, but it's also harder for us to make bad changes. He said the UK went down the road of the welfare state and socialism much faster than we did because our system, yeah, you can do bad things, but it takes longer, right? And, and that, that's always stuck with me because that is a really good point. <laughs> it, it's one of the things I love about the inefficiency of government and gridlock. Right. 
and to buy right. these Right. Isn't that his, you know, thank God we don't get all of government we pay for? That's yes. that's a Friedman quote as well, or uh, yes. roughly. I think I'm paraphrasing that one. But yeah. I actually well, think well, William Simon said that when he was Treasury Secretary, but uh, under Nixon or Ford, I can't remember, but okay. uh, probably gives credit to, to Friedman for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one another thing he points out in that book, and it, this is just hysterical to me, the government since 1897, now again, this book came out in 1984, the government since 1897 has funded for $125,000 a year a board of tea tasters. Wow. And it still existed in 1984 when he wrote that book. Now, doing a little Google search on this, in March 25th, 1996, Congress finally did away with the board no. of tea tasters. How, how are we getting along without a board of tea tasters? Oh, I don't know, Ron. You know, I don't haven't drunk tea since. I have to admit, I, you know, when they got rid of the board of tea tasters, I coffee all the way because God forbid I would drink tea without a government imprimatur. You know, so because <laughs> uh, they keep us safe. You know, Ron, they keep us absolutely. safe. And I don't trust. I don't trust that the tea to be safe anymore. I just, you know, I can't can't handle that. Holy cow. Um, yeah. Well, absolutely. it was Friedman, and now you know. Now I'm just it's popping in, into my head here. But he he did say I think this was part of free to choose. And he might have been quoting somebody else. But there's you know no, no such. If you just, just give me any three letters of the alphabet, you're likely to find a government program. Right? Yeah, something. Yeah, he used to call it the alphabet soup and all of that. Yeah. Right, and the closest thing to immortality is a government yes. program. <laughs> that is definitely a Friedmanite line that I think Reagan used to you know to great effect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he also um, he talks about in in the book Two Lucky People, which is his autobiography with Rose Friedman. Uh, he talks about calling for a state conventional uh, a state convention for for amendments, basically. Mm-hmm. And he thought the calling for it Ed, would be the most effective way to get Congress to act on things like a tax limitation amendment or even a balanced budget amendment. Just the calling for it, not necessarily having it. But just the calling for it and, you know, given the movement with Mark Levin and his Liberty Amendment books, and, and there are many states that have signed up, you know, or at least legislatures in the states that want to do this state convention uh, because it is in the Constitution. Uh, Friedman did, th- did think that, was, that would be an effective way to get Congress maybe to do something right. Yeah, including Texas, by the way, uh, the, our governor, uh, Governor Abbott, has has come out in favor of that and has stated that he supports a uh, the, the constitutional convention. So interesting to see what happens with that. And just add on a personal note, you know, Car- uh, Mark Skousen wrote a great book called The Making of Modern Economics. Mark Skousen's a good libertarian um, Austrian economist. I love him. He's a great author. He's written many books. This is one of my favorite because he, he dives into the ideas of all of these economists that have made kind of the, the current body of knowledge that we have on it. But he also talks about some of their personal idiosyncrasies, which I find fascinating. He said Karl Marx was into phrenology. And then Stanley Jevons was an astrologer. Uh, Keynes believed in palm reading. Well, Friedman was a handwriting analyst. Really? He thought you could tell a lot about a person's character from their handwriting. Hmm. 
Hmm. As I sketch chicken scratch notes here. Yes, I thought that was really interesting. And and Thomas Sowell, who of course was a a student of Milton Friedman, and right. entered his class as a Marxist and left his class still a Marxist, which I think I asked him about when he was on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Soul said about Friedman, he was a tough grader. Thomas Soul, we know how smart he is, he got one of only two Bs in Friedman's price theory class. He gave no A's. Wow. That's a tough <laughs> so, grader right there. <laughs> yeah, so Soul gets a B. So anyway, there, there's there's more to say about this man, but uh, just uh, just an incredible body of work and just you know uh, uh, just a font of ideas. That's what I love about listening to him or reading him. He, he's just a font of not only facts and historical facts and knowledge, but just ideas. And he just kept that up his whole life, and that just just absolutely astonishes me. So, folks, we need to take a break, but we'd like to remind you that you can follow the show live at hashtag AskTSOE. And please follow us on Twitter at, at AskTSOE. And please keep those reviews coming in on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. And right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here profiling our memorable mentors, Milton Friedman. And Ed, one of, um, you know, Friedman wrote for Newsweek magazine for some 18 years, over 300 articles. And there's actually a, uh, a book that you can get, Bright Promises, Dismal Performance, <laughs> which is a collection of some of these Newsweek columns, not all of them, and, and maybe even some other, a few other essays that he wrote. But in one of his columns, he took on the FDA, and he cited Professor Sam Peltzman, the uh, economist from the University of Chicago, who's done scholarly work on the FDA, arguing that it's killed probably more people than it's saved. And 
he was flooded with letters from readers, a lot in the pharmaceutical industry, who said, yes, you're right, and the FDA is a big thorn and they're a pain, but they said, um, <laughs> you know, that the, you don't want to get rid of them. He said, you just want to reform it. So Friedman came back with an article that he thought was his best ever Newsweek article, and he called it Barking Cats. And I just want to read you the first couple lines of this because this is so good, and we'll be able to steal this, by the way. Good. He said, what would you think of someone who said, I would like to have a cat, provided it barked? Yet your statement that you favor an FDA, provided it behave as you believe desirable, is precisely equivalent. <laughs> you know, and, and how many times do we see this even in business? Yeah, the timesheet is has all these negative effects, but it shouldn't be used for that. It should be used right. for this. Right. It's like, but that's not what it's being used for. That's not what it's con- or the performance appraisal. Yeah, it shouldn't be negative though, but it's mm-hmm. constitutionally negative. Mm-hmm. It's built in, and I just I love that the whole barking cat. You know, yeah, I want a cat that barks. That's good. That's good. That's similar. That's similar to the unicorn theory, right? Have you? Th- that's a good one. I and I, this was not Friedman, but another economist who t- talks about is like, well, I propose that we run our mass transit system on unicorns that you know flatul their flatulence cures global warming and that <laughs> they, they they you know that it eats only air and and they can speed along at near the speed of light our 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 infrastructure uh, and it, they don't do any damage to the roads. Ah, but you might say to me, there is no such thing as unicorns. <laughs> to which, <laughs> to which I reply, well, that's what most people think about. Ed, the they they want what they want government programs to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Friedman was pretty philosophical toward in in this book, Two Lucky People," towards the end about you know the the great waves of history and all of that, and he saw the past two and a quarter centuries guided by three intellectual tides. And this kind of goes back to the point you were making about, you know, the role of intellectuals and keeping ideas around and keeping them burning, right? Right. He, mm-hmm. he said the first wave or the first tide was the rise of laissez-faire. He called that the Adam Smith tide. And then the rise of the welfare state, which was kind of the Fabian socialist tide, you know, out mm-hmm. of the UK, National Health Service, all of that, George Bernard Shaw, you know, that whole thing. And then the resurgence of the free market, which he called the Hayek tide. Um, he had great respect for, for Hayek and, and Mises, um, mm-hmm. even though he had major disagreements with, <laughs> with Mises on things. Um, I, I remember reading something about Mises um, at the Mount, uh, what is it, the Mount Pellerin Society, the, mm-hmm. the Mount in right. Vermont, I think it is, and that's what they named the Society of Free Market Economists for, and, and others. Um, I even think John Stossel has attended these meetings because they still exist. Uh, and, and they were having a debate as they always did, you know, and it got cantankerous and Mises stood up and he, and he said, and Hayek's there and Friedman and, you know, probably a whole bunch of other, you know, free market economists that would, he would recognize. And Mises said, oh, you're all a bunch of socialists. (laughs) And he stormed out of the room. (laughs) Well, and and let me just pick up on that point because one of the notes that I, I wrote down to 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 mention here is I while Friedman is without question a mentor of mine, which was the whole 
purpose of, of us doing these shows. I'm not a Friedmanite per se. I mean, I'm I'm definitely more along the lines of Hayek or Mises from a from an Austrian perspective. And you know, M- Milton loved his equations for for all of the good things that we said about him. I th- I think that he was a little bit over overly confident in the ability of of econometrics to come up with the answers. Right. I uh, agree. He, so, he he disagreed with the idea or the premise that economics. Uh, was a branch of philosophy. He thought it was a science. Mm-hmm. And I, I disagree with him there, and, and this is probably why Gilder uh, turned my world upside down. I, what I wanted to ask you is, I read Friedman in 1981. I read Free to Choose when I was uh, in college, a sophomore or whatever, uh, taking economics, and, and it really did. I mean, it, it, it was my Bible for the longest time. I mean, I kind of even remember where I was, you know, when I read it. Um, right. Kind of like how people remember Ayn Rand when they first read her. Uh, <laughs> But but um, and and I used a lot of his points and debates. I used to write an article for the, the student newspaper, you know, called "Right versus Left," and um, I used a lot of his arguments and um, his, his ideas on liberty, his ideas on political and economic freedom, and regulation and and those and tax and welfare policy. Those things have stuck with me. But I'm not. I'm like you. I I, I kind of reject his empiricism, his 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 uh, you know permanent income hypothesis. All all the criticisms, by the way, that Gilder has made about mm-hmm. Friedman mm-hmm. over the years in his works. Um, and and I have to say, I'm I'm more of a Gilderan than <laughs> than a Friedmanite, at least on the economics. I think I think Gilder is is uh, shown a brighter light on innovation and growth and dynamism than Friedman ever did. But if you're just talking about personal liberty mm-hmm. uh, and making the forceful argument for it, wow, it, it's hard to find somebody more passionate and and just articulate and cogent than Milton Friedman. Oh, I, I completely agree. We, we we mentioned his skills as a debater and just de- destroying all comers, whether through the the magic of editing or not. But uh, you know, w- let me point out, Ron, where I, I, I one of the things that led me to my more Austrian thinking is actually in a Friedman book, um, and I know we got a really brief period of time here, but it's it's the first chapter of Money Mischief, mm-hmm. where he tells the story of the island of Yap. Yep. Right. Yep. And it, it, that story, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, we'll post post a link to it. Um, and who is the guy? Furness, I guess, was the the guy who first identified this that this you know island that had this stone money, and how absurd you know Friedman even re- replies how absurd this all is. That was what I can remember reading that passage, thinking, you know, these Austrians have got something going here because it, it almost refutes it. What's funny is the rest of that book. Well, not the rest of it. A lot of the of money mischief then goes on to 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 try to to show the glory of equations, which right. I think is really right. interesting. It, it is. I mean, you know, the it it, it is really fascinating. Uh, Skousen again wrote a book called Chicago versus Vienna. You know, comparing and contrasting the Austrian and Chicago schools, and tried to score them on you know, like debaters, right? Who's got the better arguments here? But um, I, I I do think the Austrians have a better. Exp- explanatory power but Friedman rejected the idea of, of schools he used to hate being called yeah. you know Chicago yeah. Yeah. he said I'm an economist he said you know there's good e- e- economics and bad economics but Ed I know we've got only got about a minute here and and I just want to point out that towards the end of his book 
um, his autobiography, he said he wanted his work to be judged 25 to 50 years after his death because he thought history would, you know, and, that, and a lot of people say that, right, the whole legacy thing, and we can look mm-hmm. back with a clearer, he says, judge by practice, we have been, despite some successes, mostly on the losing side. He's talking about liberty. He said, judge by ideas, we have been on the winning side. We are in the mainstream of thought not, as we were 50 years ago, members of a derided minority. So he was a paranoid optimist with regard mm-hmm. to the future. Amen. Well, great stuff. So, yeah, we probably didn't talk about everything we should have. There's a lot more to say, but uh, that, that I just love talking about him. He's such an incredible thinker. But, Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, we are going to be interviewing John Jantz from Duct Tape Marketing. Looking forward to that interview, Ron. Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com. For more information on the show, we'll post show notes here on Milton Friedman, some books that he's written, some other interesting things. And also, please contact Ed or myself at Ask. TSOE at verisage.com. Let us know what you thought of this show. We might turn it into a series. Thank you for listening, folks, and have a great weekend. 